Hello from Boise, Idaho, and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And I think heavy emphasis on education politics this week because we're going to talk about uh, school elections. We're going to talk about uh, what's going on in the governor's race and uh, take a look at uh, what's going to go on when school trustees meet up north uh, next week for their annual convention. A heavy emphasis on politics there. So uh, let's dive in. Yeah, Ken, I want to start off by talking about kind of one of our top stories this week. And it has to do... Uh, with both elections and uh, school finance. You took a look at the ever-pressing issue of school supplemental levies, and you found a new record, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Tell me what the record is and kind of what it means in Idaho. So the bottom line is $194.7 million. That's how much money uh, school districts around the state are going to collect from supplemental levies, uh, voter-approved property taxes that run one or two years, and, and have become widespread in, in Idaho education. Uh, we've seen this unfolding over the past decade. Uh, more and more districts had to go to voters to seek supplemental levies, especially during the recession, at a time when state education budgets were being cut for the first time in state history. A lot of school districts had to go to local voters and say, we need help. Uh, we pass a supplemental levy to help us pay for, you know, for salaries, for for benefits, for what have you. Yep. So we saw a, a proliferation in the amount of supplemental levies and the number of districts collecting supplemental levies. But the thing is, as I look at the numbers now, we have seen rebounds in the, the K-12 budgets that are coming from the legislature. We've, you know, we've covered that for several years. We were seeing you know, fairly significant increases of about 7% a year, uh, more or less, over the past few years. Yet the supplemental levy bill continues to rise, as we saw this year. And the number of districts collecting supplemental districts is pretty much about the same. We're talking about, you know, 93 districts this year, and that number hasn't changed a whole lot. You know, what happened this year is one district added a supplemental levy, CUNA. Marsing had one that fell off of the the rolls. So we're still at 93 out of 115 districts, almost every district in the state. And really, almost every student in the state who goes to a public school is going to a school that's getting some support from a supplemental levy. It is it is widespread, and you, I don't see that changing anytime soon when you look at these new numbers. No, and you had a chance to talk to a couple of state officials and get their reaction. Uh, what did Superintendent Ibarra say? She sort of well, what what did the superintendent say? I, I think she saw a glass half full here. Uh, what she said was, well, this is a sign that uh, locals. Uh, local voters really do support education. They really do care about education. And to an extent, uh, she is right. Most uh, most supplemental levies do pass. Uh, mo- many districts in the state have been able to roll supplemental levies every year or two, and they pass with 75 80% support. But there is definitely a, a gap emerging between the, the haves and the have-nots, the districts that can pass a supplemental levy and those who either try not to go to voters with this uh, or have tried and have failed to pass a supplemental levy. So as I talked to uh, State Representative John McCrosty, a Democrat from, from Garden City, he was saying, you know, yeah, you know, voters are in many cases showing that they're willing to support their local schools, but we are, we're balancing the education budget on the back of local taxpayers. We're kind of perpetuating some inequities in the system and as a state, we're not doing our job, and that's why you're seeing these supplemental levies. So two very different 
points of view about uh, about what's happening here. Sure. If you want to take a little closer look at the numbers and, and kind of dive into it and get more reaction and get a little bit more of the historical context, uh, that story as of Friday is sitting at the very top of our homepage over at IdahoEdNews.org. Mm-hmm. If you want to check that out, but let's kind of stay on this topic: uh, supplemental levies, bond issues. Uh, next week is an election day for Idaho schools. It's kind of an election that uh, flies a little bit under the radar. Um, right, right. But, but tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about what voters are, are going to be looking at next week. Okay, so the bottom line on this is about two hundred and sixteen million dollars. That's how much is on the ballot around the state in terms of bond issues and again supplemental levies. The big elections uh, for schools this year are a pair of um, bond issues that we have going on in eastern Idaho. Idaho Falls is seeking a $110 million bond issue. They want to uh, tear down the old Idaho Falls High School, which kind of sits in the the heart of Idaho Falls, uh, the older section of town. They want to renovate Skyline High School, which sits on the, the west end of town. Two big projects with a $110 million price tag. Teton County a district that's uh, been seeing a lot of uh, growth and I've seen, I've seen a lot of newcomers coming into that area, kind of uh, becoming a tourist bedroom community. They're seeking a bond issue, a pair of bond issues uh, to do a variety of projects. The centerpiece of that is uh, you know, elementary school building projects. So those are the two that are, we're watching. Our Devin Bodkin, our Eastern Idaho reporter, has done uh, in-depth looks at both of those bond issues, has talked to supporters and opponents. Another interesting story he had this week on the Idaho Falls bond issue, Frank, ba- Frank Vandersloot, who is uh, the richest, uh, Idaho the richest man in Idaho, Forbes magazine. Forbes magazine, and maybe one of the most politically uh, powerful people in Idaho. He's uh, very active in Republican politics and state politics, has uh, been speaking out about the bond issue. He has gone to Idaho, uh, he's gone to East Idaho News, which is a news uh, outlet that, that he owns and finances, uh, to express his concerns about the bond issue. He's not saying that he's outright opposed to the bond issue. He's claiming that he looks at the numbers and he sees that this is going to raise the tax rate in Idaho Falls. The district disagrees. Their financial advisor disagrees. Very heated debate over this uh, bond issue in Idaho Falls. And, and again, we've talked about this before. Bond issues, they're tough to pass. You've got to get a two-thirds majority. So I'm going to be very interested to see how that bond issue plays out. But, you know, th- to bring it back full circle, there are a few supplemental levies on the ballot again in November uh, on the ballot on Tuesday. NAMPA has the biggest of the group. Uh, it would come to about $18 million over two years if voters uh, approve it. All right, so a a big week ahead in terms of bond and levy elections. On Wednesday of next week, if you want to head over to IdahoEdNews.org, we will have a roundup uh, of the results of Tuesday night's uh, elections, let you know uh, where things stand, uh, whether whether the bonds and levies pass, whether they fail, uh, kind of what the latest is. So Wednesday will be a good place, uh, a good time to head over to our website and, and find out what voters did uh, the day before. Right, and if you need to get caught up between now and the election, uh, there are elections scattered around the state. Uh, go to idahoednews.org and see if you've got any elections going on in your neighborhood, and we uh, we link you to our coverage uh, of those races. All right. And, uh, Kevin, never fear. Once next week's elections are over, we still have more elections on the horizon, right? Let's shift gears and move from the 2017 election to 
2018 elections. You've been covering uh, some of these upcoming primaries closely, specifically uh, the gubernatorial uh, race. And, and we have a new candidate uh, entering the field this week, right? Yeah, we had a little bit of news in the governor's race uh, from both the Democratic and the Republican parties. Um, A.J. Belukov uh, has filed his initial paperwork uh, to run again for governor in 2018 on the Democratic ticket. You'll recall that uh, Belukov ran in 2014, uh, opposed uh, Governor Butch Otter, uh, received about 38-39% of the vote, ran a very expensive election. Largely self-financed. Largely self-financed. Put about $4 million into that campaign campaign. about 90% of which came from his own pocket. Um, Belukov is a longtime Boise School Board member. He's been a trustee in this uh, in this community for a long time. And I suspect, as he's trying to jump back into this race, uh, a couple of things. I, I think he's probably hoping that the money that he put into name recognition in 2014 will have some carryover effect to go into 2018. Yeah. Surely he's going to be better known around the state than he was at this time four years ago. So I, I think he's probably hoping that that um, provides him a little bit of a bump going into this uh, going into this race. Also, it's an open race. Uh, you know, when he spoke to Betsy Russell from the Spokesman Review this week, he said, you know, you know there may be more of an opening in a race where there is no incumbent. So uh, we saw that news coming from the uh, the Democratic side. Uh, on the Republican side, we had dueling endorsements, uh, which has been kind of a continuing. Uh, piece of the piece of the story in uh, the governor's race. Uh, Congressman Raul Labrador announced an endorsement uh, on Wednesday from Senator Ted Cruz from Texas. Uh, this came on the heels of uh, Tommy Alquist securing the endorsement of Mitt Romney. Uh, Romney came to Eastern Idaho to stump for uh, Alquist last week. So you have those two uh, those two big endorsements coming and. Uh, Maybe a little bit tongue-in-cheek, uh, Lieutenant Governor Brad Little, not to be outdone and not to uh, be excluded from the news cycle, announced an endorsement on Wednesday, which came from Bill Baticci, who is a Jim County commissioner. Game changer. Well, you know, probably not as much name ID as uh, Mitt Romney or Ted Cruz, but uh, Baticci has never run an unsuccessful campaign for uh, president. So there's that. So, you know... I don't know how much endorsements really uh, matter. I don't know how much they really move the needle. I think they probably allow candidates to kind of keep their name out uh, when they're uh, early on in the race like this, uh, trying to uh, uh, raise some money, trying to raise some uh, some name ID. It's not, I don't know how much these really are game changers. I mean, we can have fun with um, Bill Baticci. I'm not even sure that Ted Cruz or Mitt Romney are game changers in, in, in the big picture. I think they may send signals to candidates respective bases. And I think that's a little bit what was going on here with, with the Cruz endorsement. Uh, Labrador is trying to solidify his standing with the conservative base in, in, in this Republican primary. Uh, Mitt Romney uh, gives Alquist maybe a little bit uh, of standing, uh, certainly in the LDS community, uh, in the Eastern Idaho community, maybe you know a little bit more of standing uh, I think that's what the value yeah. is in, in that endorsement, mm-hmm. especially because Tommy Alquist probably didn't have as much name recognition outside of Boise, outside of the Treasure Valley. Mitt Romney is extremely popular uh, in eastern Idaho. Mm-hmm. I've been to some of those rallies, some of those rallies at Frank Vandersloot's office right. uh, that Mitt Romney had appeared at. And so uh, I, I think that was probably a move to get a little name recognition and build up a little clout 
outside yeah, of his and, home and base. And build up some buzz. I yeah. mean, I think there's some calculated you know, politicking going on with both of those, and I think even with Brad Little. And, and, you know, getting the endorsement of a Gem County commissioner is kind of a way of him to maybe subtly uh, have some fun at the expense of his opponents, maybe, but also try to underscore his Idaho roots. I mean, yeah. this is something that he's kind of been been playing up in this campaign, trying to paint Raul Labrador as sort of an out-of-touch outsider who's been in D.C. for the past few years. So, yeah, I, I think it's all kind of positioning and posturing and uh, and packaging at this point. And, you know, six months out from the primary, don't know how much this really uh, you know, is going to be a game changer, but it's uh, it's a lot of fun anyway. It, it is fun. It may affect some money. It shows that there's interest outside of the borders of the state of Idaho in this race. And yeah, like you said, here we are six months out. Um, the news cycle is, is constantly churning with, with updates and, and with more developments. And so I expect these races to be uh, more heated, more yeah. news, um, more closely contested as we get closer and closer to that May 2018 primary, at and least then, on the Republican side. And, you know, we're all just speculating at this point. We could be completely wrong. The, the history books may uh, talk about a Batichi bump. <laughs> right. I, I'm not counting on it. I'm not even counting that there will be necessarily a Mitt Romney bump or a, a Ted Cruz bump. But uh, it, it was a fun week, and uh, it it signals we'll have a lot more fun weeks with this race. It's going to be a very spirited primary. These uh, these three uh, you know, top name candidates on the Republican side are, are really going at each other, and there's uh, there's some snark and some shade being thrown around. And if you're AJ Belukov, who's just kind of getting your name out again, trying to raise a little bit of money, uh, trying to do kind of a soft launch of a campaign. He, he's planning not to really do much of anything publicly in the next few weeks. You just kind of sit back and let the uh, let the Republicans, you know, beat on each other a little bit and spend their money in a primary. You know, you know, he'd rather be delighted to see the three of them spend a lot of money between now and May, uh, according to the Republican vote. Yeah. And buckle up, Kevin. We've got you and I have a good year of this. Left. It's going to um, be fun and it's going to be busy. And, you know, it's what we sign up for. So, you know, bring it on. All right. Sounds good. You can always check the 2018 election tab at the top right hand corner of IdahoEdNews.org. We will archive all of our campaign related stories there. They'll be in one place. They'll be there through the elections. And so if you want to get caught up uh, or if you need to review before the election, that's a great resource. I want to look ahead to next week and talk about the school board's uh, convention that's going to be taking place up in North Idaho. Uh, A couple of interesting things on the agenda and more policy debate. We're going to be sending about half our staff up there. Um, We're going to have a whole whole fleet up there, yes. uh, I'll be manning the office out of Boise, and then pretty much everyone else uh, uh, will be heading up north. But uh, a full slate of activities. This is a large convention where school board members... Uh, get together and shape policy and have leadership elections. There's going to be focused on politics too, Kevin. There's going to be a couple of not debates necessarily, but candidate forums, right? Tell me a little bit about uh, what's planned. I think two of the races are going to be highlighted. Right. right. I think we'll have uh, appearances by the candidates for governor, and we'll also have the uh, candidates, the the two Republican candidates for state superintendents. So you'll have uh, uh, Sherry Ibarra and Jeff Dillon are, are supposed to be up there. It'll be interesting to see kind of what what happens there because, you know, I may be wrong here, but I don't recall uh, Ibarra and Dillon being on the same stage yet. I, 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 you know, and if I'm wrong about that and somebody sends me a message after the podcast, uh, great. We'll, we'll come back next week and, and I'll, I'll correct my 
correct my statement here, but I don't think they've been uh, on the same stage at this point in the campaign. It's been such a slow, uh, low-key election so far. No, I don't believe so. Not in terms of a specific campaign event, because the superintendent really was very specific about how she just launched her re-election campaign, and she wasn't campaigning earlier. So I think, if not the first choice, this is an early look, a real early look at the two of them together, maybe a chance to interact, maybe a chance to have a little bit back and forth uh, about some policy distinctions and about some ideas Heading forward, so I'm looking forward in, to that one in particular. Right, and especially because it's going to be in front of a very well-versed group: uh, trustees, uh, charter school officials, folks who uh, deal with education policy on a on a daily basis. You can't fake it in front of that. No, audience. it's going to be. Uh, I suspect they'll get some some pretty uh, pretty well-informed questions from the audience. Yeah. Uh, so you've got that. You've got the superintendent candidates. You have the uh, gubernatorial candidates, including uh, Brad Little, fresh off the Bill Petici pump. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> He'll be carrying some momentum into that. Um, but they're also going to decide uh, on some policy priorities for uh, the school board members to lobby during the legislative session. One is a topic that we've heard again and again, and that has to do with the timing of school board elections, of those trustee elections, and whether or not they are separate from or on the same election as more partisan elections. Mm-hmm. Right, Kevin? Mm-hmm. So uh, Mary Souza, yeah. a senator from, from Coeur d'Alene, has been pushing this idea for, for a couple of legislative sessions. She's not alone, but she's been the lead, uh, lead voice on this. She would like to move the school board elections out of the May election where it sits right now. You have school trustee elections take place in May on odd number calendar years. Turnout's very low. I think everybody recognizes the turnout is low. Uh, what Susan wants to do is move these elections to uh, the November general election, which would mean uh, school board elections would take place alongside uh, the presidential race, yeah. the governor's race, legislature, Congress, uh, a lot of partisan races. Uh, school trustees have uh, been pretty adamant in opposition to this. They don't want to see nonpartisan school board races on the same ballot with partisan uh, federal and state elections. Uh, so it, it, we'll want to see kind of how the trustees come down on this because it sounds like there are a couple of different schools of thought about where, what do you do with these elections? Do you keep them where they are? Do you move them to November in odd number of years like, like what we've got next week where you do have elections, but they're nonpartisan elections, they're city elections. Um, so kind of two schools of thought within the community of school trustees so we'll see how this kind of plays out, but this will give you a sense of where the school boards association is going to lobby on this issue because these policy proposals, these resolutions that come before the, the trustees, the ones that pass become their uh, legislative agenda for the next two years. So we know that this issue is not going away. I, I'll want to see kind of where the school boards uh, come down and where the school boards association uh, comes down in terms of well, what sort of alternative are they going to pursue? Yeah, I think a compromise plan may be in the works. Uh, our editor, Jennifer Swindell, talked with Karen Echeverria from the School Boards Association. She predicted a close vote. Uh, so yeah. it's, not, uh, it's not a given what's going to happen, but if they do come up uh, with a position to lobby for, I think this really maybe is foreshadowing some of the debate that will happen during the upcoming 2018 legislative session. And that's something that Karen Echeverria specifically said uh, they feel like Senator Souza is going to come back with another proposal 
with another bill, and rather than playing defense, I think the school trustees wanted to play offense a little bit and have their own plan in the mix uh, to maybe bring forward and talk to the legislature uh, about. And so uh, look for that to really foreshadow some of the debate that will take place in the halls of the State House once that convenes in January. I think that gets us caught up pretty much, Kevin, on all this week's top stories. I would encourage everybody uh, to check out the homepage bookmark it at www.idahoednews.org. We also break all of our news every day and live tweet big meetings and events on Twitter. Our handle is at Idaho Ed News on Twitter. You can give us a follow there and get caught up with all the latest. Uh, but we always have a lot of fun with the Extra Credit Podcast, and we hope you do uh, as well. We appreciate you guys listening each and every week and reading our homepage. But uh, thanks so much as always. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. This is a wrap on the uh, Bill Petici edition of the podcast. Have a good week.